Welcome back to a Game of Two Arms radio show with me, Ollie. And me, Ellis. So, Ellis, two weeks on from our first show. Um, how are you feeling? Well, it was a lot more positive two weeks ago, that's for sure. A lot has changed. Yeah, just just give give the viewers a give the listeners a little bit of a um heads up on how we're feeling. Well, somber's definitely the word. <laughs> so we've just come back today from a lovely trip to Bournemouth last night. Ollie drove a total of eleven and 11, a half hours. Eleven hours. <laughs> yep, just to go and watch us lose four one. Yeah, uh, it wasn't it wasn't the greatest of outings, was it? it, was, no, it, was, it was tough. It was concerning. It was it was one of our worst uh, away days that we've ever been on. <laughs> yeah, it definitely was. I just I, I don't even know how to start because well, I think a good place to start would be with the game before Leicester. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we can sort of spare our uh, our sadness for a few <laughs> minutes while we go into the Leicester game. But yeah, what were your thoughts on the Leicester game on Saturday? Obviously, we lost lost two 0 at the half five kickoff. But I just want to get your your thoughts on that. I thought it was a weird one, really, because I was so up for it. I was thinking, Goodison under the lights, as they say, half-five kick-off. Leicester, at times, haven't been great this season. Had picked up previously before they played us, but it just went completely wrong, I think. I think the tactics were completely different to what I expected. Yeah. I expected the midfield to be in a similar setup to how it was against Palace with the 4-2-3-1 with Onana further back. But I just couldn't believe how high he was playing. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I didn't think the midfield had the best game ever. I thought we, we looked a little bit off the pace in midfield. And obviously with our with our problems that we've got in attack, if the midfield doesn't really have a good game, it is going to get shown up really, really significantly because we do struggle finding those goals. And if, if the midfield is off... I think the whole team's off. And for me, the, the the first sort of indicator for that was Iwobi's miss in the first minute, in the first like five, ten minutes. I think Iwobi's one of those players where if he if he misses a chance, his head goes down and he, he's going to have a poor game after that because you know that it'll go straight to his head. And I think that definitely showed. I actually turned to my dad and said, Iwobi's going to have a poor game here. You can tell because he relies so much on confidence and self-belief and if because that chance didn't go in I think he was he was quite disheartened and I think that really showed in his performance I felt bad for Iwobi obviously because well to be honest no Iwobi played okay but I felt most bad for Idrissa Gay who has been in poor form recently but I felt like he was so exposed because personally I think Lampard got it wrong and that's not me saying that Lampard's a terrible manager or whatever, but I think he got it wrong because he had Iwobi and Onana both playing higher up. He had Idrissa Gay almost on his own in that sixth role, which really isn't his ideal role either because he likes to come out and win the ball rather than sit. And I felt like their midfielders, who are obviously good ball players as well, Dewsbury Hall, Tielemans, Madison, they had complete control over that midfield, so yeah. we were always going to get beat. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, like You mentioned Onana as well. I thought Onana didn't have his best game in an Everton shirt. For me, he, he looked very... He's a very raw talent, I think, and it, it will come for him. I, I 100% think he will be a, a very top player in the, in the Premier League for Everton or... If listen, if he goes on to bigger and better things, good. That's good for us because we make a profit on him. Or if he if he goes on to bigger and better things with Everton, it means we're playing better on the pitch. But I think that was Onana's most difficult performance in an Everton shirt because he's 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 still young. He's still he's, he's still learning, he's, he? he's learning, and he he will get there. He will get there. Well, he's, I think the thing with him as well, he's trying to adjust to the pace of the Premier League, which is hard for anybody, let alone yeah, a twenty-one-year-old who, to be fair to him, has got a very mature head on his shoulders, hasn't mm. he? So I think he will adapt quickly. But it's those like glimpses of talent that we see that make us know, you know, we have got a player here. Yeah, hundred percent. I, I just want to get your thoughts as well on like 
on a broader scale, where, where do you think we will actually finish this season? I, I know it's really early doors. We're still pre-World Cup, so there's there's a lot of football to be played in the Premier League. But I just sort of want to, off the top of your head now, where do you think we will finish? Well, if you'd have asked me two weeks ago at the last episode, well, I would have said probably pushing for... 12th, 11th, top top half, pretty safely, really. Yeah. But I don't know if it's a bit of the sadness from last night coming in, but I am slightly worried now because I'd probably say 15th right now, which yeah. is just unbelievable how that's changed from last week. But I'm suddenly a little bit worried. I mean, two weeks is a long time in football, isn't it? And I was, I was of the complete same opinion two weeks ago that, that we were looking up the table rather than over our shoulder behind us. But... Yeah, I, I do agree with you. I think 12th to 15th is a realistic target now for us. And I think 12th is even pushing it. But I just don't want to be in any trouble. That's the main thing. As long as we're not in that relegation battle, which I fear that we might be if we don't address the attacking issues in January. Yeah, I think we'll benefit from the fact that we won't play again after Saturday. Oh, 100%, because yeah. obviously then you've got time for the January window. We lose that month of December where we might have lost even more points. <laughs> for our sake as well. We need a, we need a break. Well, yeah, last night was particularly showing of why we needed a oh, break God, yeah. we made 11 changes to the team although that sounds like we didn't take the tournament seriously the thing is that team was almost the team that played last season yeah so to see it just get completely battered by once again a second string Bournemouth team was just it was devastating wasn't I it? mean that 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 was a team that nearly got relegated last season we all saw it everyone everyone saw it in, in world football that's that squad that started last night was largely a team that nearly got relegated yeah. and it just shows that the strength and depth is, is just not there the squad is threadbare and that that really was highlighted last night you've got players like tom davis michael Keane, even yerry mina players like this of that of that sort of squad status I think they know they're not going to be an Everton footballer for much longer because you look at their performance and no player should be playing like they did last night. Like that, that was a shocking performance. That was wasn't their levels either, was it? That wasn't. I know we like to say, oh yeah, so and so is not good enough. Obviously, we've had issues with the likes of Michael Keane in the past, but that wasn't even to his standards, and it just showed more than ever. Like we've not seen many games without Cody and Tarkovsky, but it really showed to me that without them. We would have been. We would be in so much trouble. Yeah, and I mean, we can talk, touch on Lampard's press conference after the game as well. That was that was really sternly worded. I thought, and it was almost digging the players out after that performance. And he almost sort of hung them out to dry by saying, "Well, I'm I'm not taking the I'm not taking the flak for your poor performance. We we initiated a plan. We had a plan and went out there, and um, and you didn't you didn't carry it out correctly. And and for me that says speaks volumes of why I think we should back Lampard for the future because he knows that there's a certain calibre of player which he doesn't want in that squad. I'm just glad he was honest, to be honest, because they, he's then called them players out and he said that it makes his, his decisions easier for the weekend to pick the team, which it certainly does. But I was a bit disappointed in the fact that he did pick that team and I think he did get it wrong by picking that team because personally, with two games to go, before the World Cup, I would have just gone for it. Put your best team out. Once you've won the game, take them off. So I was disappointed in him for that. And now I am slightly worried for him because the result, on if whatever happens on Saturday, if we get beat, we could then go into the World Cup 17th and out of the Cup. I'm, I'm really worried that if we if we do go into the World Cup as in the bottom three, how we'll sort of react during the off-season with like the mental capacity of players. Will they sort of look at that and go, well, like, we really need to... like 
buckle up here and get ready for a really tough relegation battle or will they go no use it as motivation I, we ha we do have strong players in the in the squad like Cody Tarkowski do you think that Mashiri will look at Lampard and go hang about we're, we're in the bottom three here going into the World Cup break do you think he'll he'll fire he'll fire Lampard do you think no, I, I hope know, he's learnt his lesson to be honest because he's done enough firing of managers hasn't he recently I really hope he has learnt his lesson and gives Lampard time because the difference with Lampard to the other managers is he's built a bit of a unity between the mm. fan base and obviously that's not everything unity doesn't get you points and stuff but it's a basis to build from so I really really just hope it can get better for him yeah. and we do need to like stress that that we are massively Lampard in like even 100%. even last night traveling 11 hour round trip for, to, to watch us get beat 4-1 by Bournemouth we, we still are massively Lampard in because for me I think Lampard is at a point now where this is the best he can do with the, with the players he's got at his disposal whether you agree with that or not it's it's difficult but Lampard is now getting to a point where he knows the players he wants there and he knows the players he wants to get rid of so I'm hopeful we'll for him because I like the guy and I think he's he's an up and coming manager and he's gonna grow with the club and we just need to give him that time because we can't keep sacking managers, can we? Yeah, hundred percent. Next thing we're gonna talk about is the hot topic at the minute, Arsenal. Yeah, we're looking looking up the league for once. It's that's mad as Everton fans. <laughs> <laughs> they have been absolutely flying recently, since the start of the season really. They've got such a great record, but we have some of us have doubts, some of us don't have doubts, and obviously with the World Cup coming up. We need to debate: Will they be in a title race this year, will or they will be in they a not? Title race? It's, it's a it's a difficult question because we've not really seen a team challenge Manchester City since that Liverpool had the you know the one good season in in thirty years. Um, but yeah, this Arsenal team that they're really exciting to watch, aren't they? They've they've got a lot of they've got a lot of um, young talent um, on display. Uh, it's a like it's a very young Arsenal team to, to be challenging for the league. So. There's obviously question marks over their experience. Uh, Definitely. Have, have, have they got like sort of the calibre to keep it going for the 38 games of the season? Um, but I, I do think they can take City the whole way. I, I, I genuinely do think they can do it. Really? Yeah. It's funny you say that because I don't. I don't think that Arsenal will be able to do that because simply because of depth and also in the final third, the, their finisher is nothing on what City have got. My thoughts on Gabriel Jesus is that he misses far too many chances. He had a great little purple patch at the start of the season, but in those moments where you're on the back foot in a game and you need to grind out a win, mm. I doubt him. Whereas with Haaland, yeah. saw him in the Fulham game at the weekend, City have got 10 men, he comes on. Yeah, he scored the winner by way of a penalty, but he actually scored an earlier goal before that, which was disallowed. But I feel like he is more of a man you can rely on, whereas yeah, Jesus yeah. isn't consistent enough for me. Yeah, 100%. And you talk about consistency. Haaland is just the, the picture of consistency. Like, even, even with two games out of the team, he, he massively came in and, and did City a big favour on Saturday against Fulham. Um, in terms of Jesus, I do agree with you that he's not the sort of consistent striker which we've seen win titles. He, he, can have a, he can have a purple patch and then, obviously, um, go missing for a few games. So... Yeah, it does beg the question. Um, in my opinion, I, I could see City getting a few high-profile injuries at the World Cup. Really? Yeah, it, it's... De Bruyne. City, uh, I mean, yeah, maybe, but City are one of those teams that have had so much luck over the years with injuries. They've always managed to keep people fit. Um, yeah. Do you think that Arsenal could win the league if they had any injuries? Or do you think it has to be 
the literal picture book season for them to win that league. I do think it, it does have to be a perfect season for Arsenal and, and that's where it sort of leans towards City winning the league yeah. because the second Arsenal slip off the curve, City will be there. Like They will pounce on that straight away. They'll it, punish it will, him, won't 100%. It, it, it'll be punished. It, like City do with most teams, it'll be punished straight away. Well, I think it'll, the World Cup will have a major impact as well because Arsenal have got all the momentum at the minute and then you've got six weeks without it. So then players will go away. They might have disappointment with their own national teams. Mm. I'm thinking Bakayo Saka, Ben White. Yeah, yeah. What if England don't do well? Does they does their confidence take a hit when they get knocked out of the World Cup? Do they come back as settled as they are now? Because yeah. I'd say Arsenal right now are probably the most settled team. In the oh, they're, they're, they're as settled as they, they've ever been in the last 10, 15 years. And even under the, uh, under the, the Wenger management, yeah. they look like a better team because there's a better squad morale across, across the board so there's a good spirit isn't it as, the, as we saw in the documentary and yeah, I think yeah. that's credit to Arteta oh 100% and it, he's really showing that he's a, he's a top class manager and obviously he has learned from the best in Pep Guardiola but he, he has shown that if you give a manager a bit of time and, and trust in the process as, as in inverted speech marks if you trust in the process <laughs> process um, which Everton fans should do um, then it can work. It, it can work. Yeah, hundred percent. It can work. But you do wonder if he if he lacks the the necessary experience to see it out as a manager. Does he have the bottle that Pep has? That's yeah. The, but I think I'm I was surprised by the Arsenal team this year because they don't only look like they play nice football. They're also very effective as well. They've only let in eleven goals in thirteen. Yeah, years. yeah. And that, that's that's really credit to Arteta again. His style of play is really suiting this Arsenal squad. Yeah, it definitely is. But. I, I think with City, you just can't doubt them. How can you back against that team at the minute? Yeah. Because they're so good as it is. And then with Haaland in the mix as well. The thing is, that I would draw some comparisons to this Arsenal team. To like, no disrespect to to Arsenal, but you do com- like you do compare them to that Leicester team, the the underdog story. Yeah. Where not quite as extreme. No, hundred percent. Listen, Arsenal are a much bigger club than Leicester. We all know that, but. Um, Arsenal just keep grinding out results. You look at Stamford Bridge on on um, on Sunday. They, yeah. they won one nil, and not many teams can go to Stamford Bridge and win one nil. It was a huge test that because I think what happened with Leicester was it got to a game where you think this has got to be the slip up. This has got to be where it's going to go wrong, and it doesn't. Yeah, and it never did. Chelsea away to go and beat them like they did. That's a huge result, and I think that obviously that'll give them confidence. But the World Cup, it's a, it's so unlucky for yeah. Arsenal that they can't just carry on through the season. We, we, we can all sit here and say, yeah, Arsenal, Arsenal are going to do it. They look really good. This World Cup throws a massive spanner in the works. It's it's huge, the, the effect that it's going to have on teams. It, it could be the difference between finishing mid-table and going down. Mm-hmm. Like, like That's how much the momentum is going to be shifted, like injuries. Even just that time off the pitch for the players that aren't going to the World Cup, they're going to lose that match sharpness, which usually at this point of the season, you're getting very close to it usually when you get to like end of november start of december that's when the, the busiest fixture period starts that's when you usually get into your sharpest point as a player and it's, it's, gonna it's be it weird. now begs the question it we're gonna see that sharpness sort of peak in about march end of march start of april and obviously that's when the running comes in so maybe that sways in the favor of arsenal that if they do keep all their players fit and and get a good run of games together and have that sharpness in the team, they could do it. So you could flip it on its head and maybe go, maybe the, the World Cup could help Arsenal out a bit and, and sort of give their players a meaningful rest and let them sort of collect their thoughts and, and go into the new year with a clean slate 
so if they go into the World Cup top of the league, they will probably go into the New Year top top of the league as well. So yeah. it's the characters for me, though. I yeah. think you've got Granite Xhaka, who is a huge character, but then other than that, I just look at them and go, "How many of you have got it in you to see out a whole season?" Like it's not even anything against Arsenal mm. because I think this team the benefits of it being so young is that you've got the basis here for an absolutely superb team to come for for years now, haven't you? If yeah. you keep this group together, keep Arteta there and just keep improving on it, you've got a great group. You've got Martin Odegaard, Bakayo Saka, these kind of players, mm-hmm. seriously talented players who, when Arsenal are doing well, they'll be able to keep hold of as well because next year, without a doubt, they'll be in the Champions League. Yeah, right? yeah. And the biggest question as well, it's, it's worth massively pointing out that they do have to play Manchester City twice. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah. so that will be a big test for them. I think if they can even pull a result out at the Emirates and and um, maybe get something at the Etihad, I, I do think they can they can go all the way and do it. It's time to get in the World Cup mood a little bit, but we'll we'll save the World Cup preview to the to the next part of the show. Um, we're going to go on to England and uh, how we think they're going to line up for this World Cup. Because tomorrow, Gareth Southgate's announcing his squad. And obviously, we don't have time to go through all 26 on this show. So, we'll give you the important bits. Yeah. We'll give you our starting 11s. So, Ollie, do you want to read out your starting 11? Yeah, for I, will, I will start with my starting 11. And in goal, it has to be Jordan Pickford for me. Uh, England's number one for so many years. He's been Mr. Reliable for Everton, Mr. Reliable for England. And I don't think you can look past him at all um, in an England shirt. Back four, I've gone with Luke Shaw. Obviously, injury to Ben Chilwell, it's not ideal. He would have been in the team, I think, if he'd have been able to be selected. Uh, two centre-halves of Stones and Dyer again. Eric Dyer's in there purely because of injury. It, it's a difficult, difficult... Um, centre-back choice. Yeah, it's a difficult decision to put the second centre-back. I think Stones has to be in there. And uh, right-back here in Trippier. I think he's been really good for Newcastle. Um offers that set piece threat and yeah I think you can't really look past him three centre midfielders of uh, Declan Rice Jude Bellingham and Phil Foden I've gone Phil Foden in a central role uh, contrary to some views on Twitter who I think people are saying play him at wide now I think he has to play in that central role because if anyone is going to provide attacking prowess for England it is going to be Phil Foden and um yeah, so he has to be in that central role for me. Uh, and then a front three of Bakayo Saka, Harry Kane and Raheem Sterling. Now, I know Raheem Sterling will probably cause a little bit of a stir. I think people will think, what, what's, Sterling? What, what's Sterling done to warrant being in the World Cup squad? But he always just does seem to turn up for England. And I do think Gareth Southgate massively trusts him. So, yeah, that's my that's my starting eleven. I like your team. I like your team. I'm... Eric Dyer's an interesting one because he has done well for Tottenham, hasn't he? And I think that's yeah. gone under the radar a little bit, hasn't it? But he wasn't in Martin, and I will tell you Martin now. Go on. So I also have Pickford in goal, without a doubt. 100%. England's best shot stopper. England's Mr. Reliable. Uh, Kieran Trippier, right back as well. Great set-piece taker. He's done it before for England. He's delivered in big moments for England against Croatia with mm. that free kick. My centre-back's... I am concerned as well. There is a bit of a worry there with injuries and stuff. And I've gone with John Stones and Ben White. Slight concern at Ben White as he's been playing right back for Arsenal. Another concern is those two don't strike me as being able to Mm. lead. One can't lead the other. And I like having 
a centre-back in there who can command and lead that defence. So I'm slightly worried about that there, which might be why Southgate might go with a third defender. Might mm. have someone like Kyle Walker, might have someone like Connor Cody in there just to marshal that defence. Luke Shaw, once again, he's just been picked by default because there's no one else. Yeah, <laughs> Ben Chilwell would have been mine too, but he can't go in, so Luke Shaw goes again. Scored in the Euros final, so to be fair to him, give him the chance again. If As Southgate goes, he tends to back the people who've done it for him before, so that's why he's in my team. Declan Rice, Jude Bellingham and Phil Foden are my exact midfield. Same wow. as you. And I would also completely agree Phil Foden needs to be played in a central role. Yeah. And I think that that role can interchange between Foden, Madison, I'd even try Grealish in a central role. Rice and Bellingham, it'd be interesting to see because I think when we played defensively at the last, at the Euros, we had Rice and Phillips. Mm. Two more defensive-minded defensive midfielders like, than having Bellingham, who has got that attacking outlet. So it'd be interesting to see how, if Rice drops back, Bellingham goes forward, and then they alternate. It'd be interesting to see how that works, because then you've also got a midfielder in front of them. So it'd be useful to, for him to, to have that balance in the middle, a bit of attacking threat, as well as having the solidity of Rice, who can also carry the ball forward. Uh, Phil Foden, I feel like you can't not start that man. That He is probably our talent, and he is the talent of a generation. Interesting on Phil Foden as well that we've both gone with him in that central role. I think the two players that could carry England further in this tournament are Bellingham and Foden because they are so, so good. Like I think they are arguably some of the best talents in the world, definitely in Europe. Um, Not even an argument, I'd no, say. No, 100%. It's, it's, if anyone has to play, it's them too. 100%. I can't wait to see. I can't wait to see Drew Bellingham at a major tournament because we've seen him so far done well in the Champions League, done well in the Bundesliga. But I really want to watch how he plays because I've not given that much time to him yet. I've watched yeah. him in Champions Leagues, but I want to watch closely to see how good a player he really is because from what it sounds, he sounds like he could be the complete package. Yeah, hundred percent. So then I've gone with Raheem Sterling. Bakayo Saka and Harry Kane. Ah, so we have the wow. same front six. Just to, just to sort of give a bit of context, we've not conferred here. Like We had genuinely just gone completely blind into this. Yeah. So Great minds. Fa- yeah, great minds. <laughs> great footballing minds, eh? So Bakayo Saka, I think he picks himself because he's just brilliant, isn't he? He's yeah. another one. He's a young one that we forgot about there. And do you know why we forgot about him as a young talent? Because he's so mature that you yeah. wouldn't even think that he is that age, but he is. Harry Kane, obviously England's star striker, isn't he? Hopefully he delivers on the big stage again. We need him to. Yeah, 100%. 100%. We need him to do a bit of a, a job like he did in the last World Cup with the uh, top scorer, but hopefully not all in penalties, although I wouldn't mind if we got a few penalties. It doesn't matter how they're going. I think Harry Kane definitely needs to step up in this tournament. And Obviously, he did in 2018 World Cup. He did in the Euros to some extent. But I think this is the biggest tournament of probably of his career because... Yeah, it is defining one. Yeah, 100%. You get these strikers that get to that age where this it's make or break. But will he be the same player in four years at the next World Cup? Certainly not. No, 100%. So this, this is the one where he has to make a name for himself and go that extra yard, that extra mile and sort of make sure he's the first name on the team sheet because in the Euros um, there was like a few calls that different strikers should be playing the group stage he was a little bit underwhelming he didn't score and then obviously he bagged against Germany yeah. which I think was a relief for him because he hadn't scored in the tournament yet and it was getting to the point well when is Harry Kane going to score so I think he just needs a good starting game get one or two goals in the first game against Iran and, and then build on that 
I think for Harry Kane as well, I'm slightly concerned about our setup with Foden there behind the striker, that Harry Kane might drop into his role and they might end up getting in each other's way. So either if you're either going to play a number 10 like Phil Foden or you're going to have Harry Kane play in the way he plays for Tottenham, dropping yeah. in. But if Phil Foden's there, I would, if I was Southgate, I really would be telling Harry Kane, you are the striker, you stay in the box, you do what you used to do. I know there's a big thing to miss out on with Harry Kane's passing ability, but we need someone in that box. We can't have a false number nine, as yeah, they say, yeah, yeah. When, you've not, when you've got an attacking midfielder directly behind. But Sterling completely agree as well. Plays well for England. He's been awful so far at Chelsea. Yeah. But, Plays well for England, so he always does. Just seem to turn up in an England shirt, doesn't he? And it's it begs the question whether he, he sort of lost his feet at Manchester City. Was is he sort of falling out of love with club football? And maybe under the managers he's playing, it, does he does he not really enjoy it? But um, yeah, for me, Sterling has to be on that team sheet. He's got to be. But then now we've decided the 11s, we're going to decide a surprise pick. So obviously, with the squad being announced tomorrow, we've just told you our 11s, but there's going to be a 26 man squad, and we're going to name. The player that we think will get in that squad to the surprise of other people. So, Ollie, who do you think is going to be your surprise pick for the World Cup squad tomorrow? So I've kind of got two. I'm, I've kind of cheated a little bit, but I've got two. So I'll, I'll go with my more serious one first. I'll, I'll go with James Madison. Um, it's mainly just after Saturday, to be honest. He, he literally came to Goodison and tore us apart. He was unreal against us. Um, and that kind of flair would... It'd be fantastic off the bench. Look, we know he's not going to start because Southgate's got the the, the guys on the on the team sheet there that he trusts. The favourites, the favourites, yeah. But we so we know he's not going to start. Um, but I think that that flair coming off the bench could could do a lot of teams some damage. Well, like it really could. It's funny you say that because I also named two surprise picks and one of which was James Madison. If we have the same other one, then the show is completely thrown. So <laughs> that should be interesting. But yeah, James Madison, like what a player. Honestly, the way he dictated that game against us and this season, well, since the start of last season, he's got 30 goals and assists in the league. Harry Kane's the only English player anymore. Wow. He goes under the radar so much, yeah. doesn't he? And even when Leicester are playing badly, he seems to be that bright spark in, in the team where he can just pull something out of nowhere. Like you, you see the um, Nottingham Forest game a few weeks ago, that, that free kick which he pulled out of nowhere, it was, it was unreal. He's matured, I think, and become, become the player that can take a game on his own shoulders and carry it forward rather than going missing like he used to do. Yeah. But, um, we may as well say our other surprise pick then, seeing as we both had two. Mine... Was it yours or was it not? James Tarkowski. <laughs> How have we done this? I'm sorry. Mine is also James Tarkowski. The downsides of no conferring before the show. We, <laughs> we thought we'd do that so we had a bit of an element of surprise. But yeah, I've gone with James Tarkowski. And please, guys, this is not bias. There's been a lot of talk about it this week. And James Tarkowski is the leader who I was saying we need to have in an England team. Yeah. You need a centre-back who can marshal that defence. You need someone who tells the others what to do. And James Tarkovsky, since he came to Everton, has marshaled that defence alongside Connor Cody, who could also be in the squad tomorrow. And I think his blocks, his positioning, his leadership skills are so important. And if he gets brought, that is fully deserved. And I'd see why he wouldn't bring him, because he's never been in a major tournament before and Southgate might like to keep the people who've done it before. But... If he gets in, he fully deserves it. Yeah, I completely agree. Tarkowski's been fantastic in an Everton shirt since he turned up. Um, on a free transfer as well, where may, we, may we add. That was, it was a bargain. Um, but yeah, he, he's really been sort of 
the, the player who's kept us going for the last few weeks. He's been like really good. So yeah, Tarkowski is my um, surprise unbiased pick. <laughs> surprise pick. Welcome back to the show. Uh, World Cup fever has gripped the studio and uh, in, on this dull sort of cloudy, rainy day in Leeds. Um, we're going to move on to a more broader uh, World Cup preview. Yeah, we are. So this isn't just England anymore. We're going to split it quite nicely. We're going to go with... We're going to talk about the winners. We're going to talk about our dark horse for the competition. We're going to talk about the failure of the competition, the team who let people down. And then we're going to finally just conclude with what we think England is going to, yeah. going to do. So, yeah, we'll start with the winners then. So, Ollie, who is going to win the World Cup? So, after a, a lot of... Um debating within my own mind of who will win the World Cup I have gone with Brazil to win the World Cup this year why? I don't know they've got a good squad they've got like a really good squad um, it's very balanced that squad so they've got good keepers obviously good options in Edison and Allison. Um you can't talk about Brazil without talking about Neymar he's is it his time is it his tournament this like we were talking about with Harry Kane five, five or so minutes ago this is, defining one. this is the defining tournament for Neymar. And I think coming so close in 2014 with Brazil at their home World Cup, obviously getting that nasty injury against Colombia, I think he'll really want to make this tournament his own. And I, I can see them doing it. I really can see them doing it. I, I think Richarlison's a good option up, up there. Um, they've got really good midfielders. And you even look at players like Bruno Gamares from Newcastle. They, Superb player. You wouldn't have even thought he would be anywhere near that squad 12, 15, 13 months ago. But but now he, he looks like he could take the World Cup by storm. And that's why I've gone Brazil. Brazil look a really, really interesting package going into this World Cup. I think they've got the Brazil factor as well. Mm. They are the World Cup, aren't they? If you, obviously, for England, you go into that World Cup and you get to play the teams that aren't from Europe. Brazil's one you're particularly excited for. However, I've gone with France. Oh. could be seen as a boring pick but I have got reasons for it so obviously they won it four years ago in 2018 and I look at that team and go the core of it, the star players in it are the same but more experienced Kylian Mbappe who broke out four years ago at that World Cup is now going to be back wow that's four years ago wow. four years older <laughs> four years more experienced and I think considerably better now as well France, you can never look past them as well because the squad depth is just absurd, really. It's it's unbelievable to think the players that get left at home with the France team, mm. you know. And there's experienced heads there, which I think might be like give them the edge over the likes of Brazil because I think they've got players who've been there and done it. And obviously, they're not always as good to watch as the likes of Brazil, but they get things done. I think I, the 2018 World Cup, which was a long time ago, I think they, re they relied on moments. Yeah. So players... Like individual brilliance from the likes of Mbappe, etc. They relied on a moment of brilliance from them to get them through, but I think they can do it again. Yeah, so it's it's France is an interesting pick because you talk about this um, this World Cup curse, and I think this should uh, should lead us on very nicely to our uh, our failure of the tournament. Okay. I've gone quite rogue with this. I've gone with France <laughs> to be the failure of the tournament. Wow, that's interesting. Why then? I, I don't know. It's I've seen so much about this World Cup curse where if you win the tournament, you fail to get out of the group in the next tournament. We've seen it with Spain. We've seen it with Germany. I, I, I just feel like France will be like they were in the Euros. They struggle to, to break teams down. They, they had that sort of 
expectation on them and they fail to deliver. And I think if, if as you say, they don't have these moments, yeah, they're not going to win games. And That's the doubt with them because they don't have, they don't play consistent, a consistent style yeah. like other teams do. So they do rely on individual like yeah, yeah. play, don't they? But my failure is Germany. Right, okay. Which I don't know really what's behind this, to be fair, but it's the first World Cup since... Joachim Love left. Yeah. So they've got Hansi Flick in charge, who did well with Bayern Munich. But obviously, Joachim Love, he won the World Cup with Germany, and he is the German manager that we remember for our whole lifetime. So how do they cope with the hangover of not having yeah, him? Yeah. Obviously, they've had the tournament without him already, but the first World Cup without him, they qualified well. They got 27 points, but I don't know. I don't think we should take too much from qualifying from any team because... It's such a, a gap between then and the actual World Cup. And yeah, also, it's 100%. a different type of game. It's not as competitive. And I'm a bit worried about Timo Werner as well. If you're relying on him to be your mm, goals, yeah, is 100%. he really the man? I mean, you have an aging Thomas Muller who feels like he's been 30 years old for the last 10 years. But <laughs> he now played he in is... the first World Cup that we ever watched no, in 2010. Yeah. But he is now getting to that age where Germany just can't rely on him anymore. It's a, it's a very... They've got some exciting players like Joshua Kimmich, um, players like that. Rudiger's obviously a very good centre-back, but yeah, I, I, I do tend to agree with you, to be honest. Germany do look like they're on a massive decline. Yeah, so moving on from that now, we're going to talk about the dark horse of the World Cup. So obviously, at the Euros, the dark horse was Turkey and it went drastically <laughs> wrong, didn't it? We're so, about to jinx a whole nation here. <laughs> I'm hoping that I can pick a team that does end up doing well. I'm going to go with Uruguay. A team I've always liked, really, since the first World Cup I ever saw in 2010 with the Suarez-Ghana situation. But I don't think Suarez is going to be the star man this time around. I don't even know. if Has he retired yet from Europe? I'm not so sure. Well, the key players that I'd be looking out for are Valverde yeah. and Darwin Nunes. And the second one is controversial. And I know you might not agree with it, but I think if Nunes is going to blow up, he's going to blow up at the World Cup when he's being fed by Valverde, who's an yeah, absolutely yeah. unbelievable player, who Carlo Ancelotti this season has transformed. He was a brilliant player beforehand, but he's now turned him into a goal threat as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the attacking threat that Uruguay posed, Darwin Nunes, who I think, I've been impressed with him at Liverpool. I think that he's got that threat, he's got that fear factor that he strikes into defenders. His finishing hasn't quite hit it off yet, has it? No, but no. when he not. gets hold of it, I'm scared for them defenders. Yeah, yeah. I feel like he's so unpredictable. He almost sometimes doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> but it's unpredictability that kind of gets your goals in big tournaments. You know, moments where people switch off because yeah. international games are so tight, aren't they? Mm, that yeah. one moment can change it. And it's interesting. We're talking about moments again, and Darwin Nunez is one of those players that can just produce a moment out of nowhere. We've seen it with Liverpool. He's done it a couple of times, and he's been close on other occasions. Um, yeah, Uruguay are an interesting team. They they look they look they look quite good to be fair. They've got um Ronaldo Araujo at centre back, the Barcelona player. Um yeah. so they do have a solid basis of, of good European talent there. Um so yeah, they'll be interesting. Uh, for my dark horses, I have gone with Denmark. Nice. Yeah, so Denmark had a very good Euros, obviously in, in twenty twenty one. Even with the uh, circumstances. Yeah. And and I just think um they're just such a close knit group. So they might not have all the superstars in the world, but they are just such a good team together. They've got great coach. Um, they have, obviously, Christian Eriksen, Mikael Damsgaard, Yusuf Poulsen. They're three sort of the bigger names, Simon Kier at centre-back. Um, so they have bigger names, but as a collective, I think they're just a really good team. And I can see them getting to 
last 16, maybe even quarter final. They're a good unit, aren't they? I think they got underestimated a bit at the Euros. Like people like to say that the Euros England just beat nobody teams other than Germany, obviously. Yeah. But I think beating Denmark was a real achievement because yeah. that team was just superb. Like just well organized, well drilled. Like traditional Denmark teams are as well so yeah I'd give them a good shout to and get far even even England, Denmark even had England on the back foot at one point with, the, with that um, Damsgaard free kick yeah we, we were one nil down we were down and out so talking of England yeah talking of England how do you think England will do <sighs> it's it's a difficult one isn't it because I don't want to overestimate us because we've had two good tournaments um, but then I don't want to underestimate us and think well we're going to have a terrible month of football here um, quarterfinals okay and how will that play out will we be pleased with that I think it all depends on the draw the, the tournament tree whoever we get I think it massively depends on that because um, we will get to a stage where if we beat two teams and we, we're into the quarterfinals or the semifinals and they're, they're nobodies they're like that then what we've played in the Euros, people are going to go, well, you only got there because they're, they're not good enough. Yeah, well, I think quarterfinals as well, because I think <laughs> three tournaments in a row of doing well will be quite a surprise. They're either going to do it this time or this generation aren't going to do it, I think. And if we set up too negatively again, I think we'll probably get punished. We might get to an extent, but I feel like when you set up that way, you can't win it. You can only get so far. I really hope that some of the players stand up and be counted. The likes of Jude Bellingham, Phil Foden, take this country on your shoulders and like really just go for it because they need to let themselves play freely and I hope Southgate allows them to do that because he seems quite restrictive as a manager like with yeah. his systems and stuff. But I'm hopeful for us while also being quite measured and thinking there are some serious teams about here. Would you be happy with the quarterfinal finish? No, I wouldn't and I'd expect that to see the end of Gareth Southgate if that happened yeah because we do have such a good squad it's 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 rare it would almost be like a a shame to see that squad not make a semi-final same as the uh, 2006 team yeah, it's one of them yeah. generations where you look at it and think these guys have got to do something the yeah. depth we have the quality we have we've got to do something with yeah, this team 100%. the final part of this show is the upset of the week. It's the constant that we'll bring you every time we're on here. And we look at the weekend's fixtures and we decide which game is going to bring a surprise result. So, the first one that I'm going to go with, my decision is that Newcastle are going to beat Chelsea. So That's a big call. That is a big call. Chelsea, I've obviously done all right so far with Graham Potter, but then they've come off the back of a defeat to Arsenal previously and I'm a bit concerned for them especially at St James's Park the way the fans are at the minute they are on cloud nine yeah. with their football club aren't they and those players are playing 200% of their ability the likes of Miguel Almiron Callum Wilson they've got so many threats there and I think It'll be a good game. There'll be goals in it. But I think Newcastle will get through it because they've shown not only are they beating teams at the minute, they're beating teams well. They're beating teams by battering them like they did to Southampton. They're scoring goals. They're keeping goals out. And I, w I wouldn't even say at this point it'd be classed as a major upset mm. if Newcastle won. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I do massively agree with you. I, that's why I didn't go with that um, as an upset because I thought Newcastle are now at a point where... They can go to Chelsea and get three points quite easily. And Newcastle are a really good side. And I think they've got that really good balance of fans, players, manager, staff, 
everyone is moving in the right direction and it is it's really going well for them so yeah I, I can back that it's a good very good upset um i've gone with a little bit of a different one i've gone fulham to beat manchester united at craven cottage wow that's an interesting yeah. one um yeah fulham have gone really under the radar this season they've in the top 10 um they've got good players obviously we went to fulham a couple of weeks ago to watch everton we drew nil nil we played all right they played well um but I don't know. It's Craven Cottage is a is a difficult place for a lot of teams to go. Liverpool drew there. I, I do think Fulham will get a result against Manchester United. Well, they score at home, don't they? Like the only team to keep them out from scoring at home was us. <laughs> <laughs> Not to brag or anything, but it was. And um, yeah, Fulham. They've got goals in them. They're playing a United team who are obviously in transition, as we spoke yeah, about yeah, last yeah. time. And I think yeah, why couldn't they do as, as well? Watch out for for Willian, uh, Mitrovic. Them two linking up will be. A big help for them in that game. I think, obviously, against Lisandro Martinez for Manchester United, Mitrovic is going to really have a go at him in in the air. He's going to get his elbows out. It's 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 going to be a feisty encounter, I think. And I, I do genuinely think Fulham can get something there, which will which will send them nicely into the World Cup. I think it will, yeah. And Fulham's a team I'll be particularly looking out for after the World Cup because can they keep that up? Marco Silva's known for having a bit of a drop-off in the second half yeah. of the season. Similar to similar to the Arsenal thing we were talking about before, it's can they keep that momentum going and can they get to a point where they are an established Premier League team? Yeah, well, the World Cup is coming ever nearer, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's, it's not, not far now. Next not long time to we're on here, we will be deep into the World Cup. So we go into them final game final games at the weekend see how they go hopefully Everton can end on a win hopefully fingers crossed <laughs> Liverpool can end on a defeat sorry for a bit of bias there but that's all from a game of two halves thank you very much